verses uh, 1 through 5. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. This is the word of the Lord. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. On the whole, we as a people like the idea of balance. If I do something wrong to you, I should make up for it. I should apologize. If I break something, I should have it fixed. I should make it right in some way. Or now the inverse of this is also true. If I do something nice for you, there is an expectation that you will then in turn do something nice for me. It's this idea of reciprocity. We have to balance the scales, right? Make it all even. And this sort of balance makes us feel good. We like the idea of this sort of balance because this way we don't owe anyone anything and they don't owe anything to us. It makes us all equal. It keeps us all on the same footing. This is often why we don't like to receive help. We don't ask for help. We don't tell people we need help or we don't give others help because we don't like this feeling of indebtedness, as if I owe you something. It makes us feel as if we are not self-sufficient, that we cannot do it on our own. A question that we all at some point have to ask is how can God accept me? And the only answer that we see in scripture to how can God accept me is through Jesus Christ. We talked about this last week, the biblical doctrine of justification by faith. I am unrighteous, but Jesus made me right through his crucifixion and resurrection. In essence, I am made right by God, not by what I do, but what he has done for me. And there is nothing in return that I can do to balance those scales. And that makes us feel uncomfortable at times because it means that the glory doesn't go to us. The glory goes to God. We have a tendency as sinful humans to like to grab some of that glory back for ourselves. We like to take the glory that is only meant for Jesus Christ And justify ourselves before God by our own works. Luther, as he goes into Germany, as he begins to preach the gospel, says this. The doctrine of justification is this. That we are pronounced righteous and are saved solely by faith in Christ without works. We are pronounced righteous 
We are saved solely by faith in Christ without works. And this is a great doctrine. Uh, in response to this, Duke George of Saxony said this, It's a great doctrine to die by, but a lousy one to live with. It's a great doctrine to die by, and what he mean by, means by this, this is great. When I die, it's not about what I've done in my life, but as I live, it's kind of a lousy doctrine to deal with because I don't get to do anything now. So what are we to do? How are we to live in the meantime? As we come to our text today, Paul is challenging the Galatians with some of these questions. And so we're going to see three things. We're going to see a bewitched faith, a confused faith, and a vain faith. A bewitched faith, a confused faith, and a vain faith. Paul, through the first two chapters of Galatians, has been using his spiritual autobiography to prove that he was a genuine apostle of the true gospel. But he now makes a shift. He's going from proving his defense of that gospel to explaining the theology of that gospel. And he begins with a very stern rebuke. Paul, once again, is upset. But to this point, he hasn't really made it personal. And now he's going to make it personal. Very personal. Consider his language. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He straight up calls them fools. You fools. You ignorant ones. You, you've allowed someone to come in and bewitch you with words. And Paul's words here are rightly condemning because the danger is here that they're nullifying the grace of God. It, let me say it like this. If the works of the law are necessary, why did Christ even die? If the works of law are necessary for salvation, why did Christ even die on the cross? If I can take care of my own sins, we don't need the cross. This is the danger here. They are in essence believing that Christ had died for no purpose if they can justify themselves. John Calvin says it this way, for when we hear that the son of God with all his blessings is rejected and that his death is esteemed as nothing, what godly mind would not break out in indignation? When you say that the cross of Jesus Christ is not sufficient, if, or if you heard it said, you should respond in indignation. You should say, no, that's foolishness. You foolish one. How could you ever say such a thing? Paul looks here and he says, you Galatians, you're, you're acting so foolishly. You must be bewitched. Who has bewitched you? This word here, this Greek word means literally who has cast a spell over you to hold who is holding you spellbound and we can imagine uh, there are times in our lives where people may say something like to, this to us uh, where, where we may have a bad influence come in our life and are teaching us wrong things and we say who, who has got a hold on you that they're uh, enabling you to believe these things that are simply not true they were under the influence of false teachers who wanted to add the law of Moses to the finished work of Christ. 
The spell needs to be broken. And to break this spell, Paul reminds them. He points them to the cross. He says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. In essence, he's saying this. I came to you and preached to you about the crucified and risen Savior. You have seen it through my teaching. Jesus, the one true God-man, the one person in two natures, human as well as divine. Paul preached Christ crucified. To preach is to portray the cross. To portray the cross, excuse me, not betray, but portray the cross. In 1 Corinthians one twenty three, he says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Again, 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul points them to the reality of the crucifixion. This is what we need to remember. The story of Jesus, and we've just finished Easter, uh, not too long before that, surprisingly, was Christmas, only about three months, three, four months. And in, th- from Christmas to Easter, you get, in essence, a picture of the whole story of Jesus Christ, from birth to crucifixion to resurrection. But what we can't fail to remember is that Jesus was crucified by particular men on a particular day outside of a particular city on a particular tree. It is a factual event in history. But not only was he crucified, there's more than this, God proved that he accepted the sacrifice of Jesus by raising him from the dead. We must preach Christ crucified, but we also must preach preach him risen. And Paul is upset because they're forgetting all of this. They're unwilling to accept salvation in Christ alone. They wanted to add their own finishing touches to the work of Jesus. And, And you say that, or you hear me say that, and you go, well, that's crazy, right? You can't add... Okay, Jesus, the crucifixion, resurrection, that's pretty cool. Let me, let me add a few things to that just to round it all out. It's crazy, right? It's folly to think that we can get God to accept us by keeping his law. The only way to be justified is faith alone in Christ alone. And here's the reality. There are always going to be those in the church who want to come in and try to bewitch us. They come in with things that are attractive to our ears. They come and say things that our, our, our conscience and our mentality loves. You can be good enough if you just try hard enough. You don't need to just trust in Jesus. Look, Jesus is good, but your work's good too. Your work can be on par with Jesus' work. And we love this sort of work-based faith. Because it balances the scales in our minds. I no longer owe you anything. You no longer owe me anything. We're, we're quits, right? 
We like this idea of being even. It makes us feel like we're not as bad and helpless as we actually are. It means I have the ability to be good enough. But at the end of the day, these are words that seek to deceive us. They entice us away from the one true faith. And we have to be mindful of these things. And they don't always just come through outside words. Sometimes that thinking just creeps up in our own actions. It's not words we say. We don't try to nullify the cross. But we try to validate ourselves. We cannot have a faith that is confused. To unconfuse their faith, Paul appeals to their own personal experience. Let me ask you only this. This is verse 2. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Does the Christian obtain the Holy Spirit by working of the law or by hearing with faith? <clears throat> and Paul is pointing to them, pointing them to their own experience in this. They knew something about the work of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. They had come under its regenerative influence. This Holy Spirit that worked miracles among them. And having experienced all these things, they could not forget the work of the Holy Spirit. So Paul wants them to know how the Galatians received it. It was not by works. He says, are you so foolish in verse 3, having begun by the Spirit, that you are now being perfected by the flesh? He's saying you began your Christian life through the working of the Spirit. Why would you now give up the Spirit and go trust in the flesh that couldn't have done anything for you to begin with? At the end of the day, there are only two possibilities. Faith comes through the work of the law or it comes through faith. So which is it, he says in essence. If by works, then there's something you must do. But it's not by works, it's by faith alone. The Spirit enables sinners to believe. And the Galatians knew this from their own experience. Paul appeals to this in them, in them through their own experience. They had simply trusted the finished work of Jesus on the cross and the empty tomb. It was not something gained, it was something given, received through the working of the Holy Spirit. There are still those in the church today who will try to tell us that the Holy Spirit comes through our efforts. That there are two groups of Christians in the church, Christians who have the Holy Spirit and Christians who do not have the Holy Spirit. And this is simply not what scripture teaches. The Holy Spirit comes when we lay hold of faith in Christ. The works, gifts, and fruits of the Holy Spirit belong to every Christian. So we as well, cannot be confused. We must be reminded where our faith comes from. It is ultimately the work of faith. We love. Why? Because he first loved us. We come because we are called by the shepherd. We hear his voice and it is familiar 
to us. He is the one who be, has begun the good work in us, and he will see that good work to its completion. We know it is not about our work, but it is about the work of Christ. It is about what he has done in and through us. And we can add nothing to this. You cannot volunteer for enough good things at church. You can't help enough people that you see out in the community. You cannot do anything enough to validate your faith in Christ. These are all good things, and you should volunteer at church. You should help those who are less fortunate. But we do not do these things to earn our faith because it's all about what he's done. Therefore, we rest in him. We trust in his finished work. And if we don't do these things, if we don't rest and trust in him, then Paul says we will have a vain faith. Once the Galatians were forced to admit they had received the Holy Spirit by faith alone, the argument's kind of over. But he, he kind of goes on. Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. The Christian faith ends exactly the way it starts. It starts through faith that is given to us. And therefore we can no longer live according to the flesh. The human nature, apart from the working of God, is weak. We cannot then be perfected by our own spiritual efforts. Of this text, John Stott says this, They did not deny that you must believe in Jesus for salvation, but they stressed that you must be circumcised and keep the law as well. In other words, you must let Moses finish what Christ has begun. Or rather, you yourself must finish by your own works to the work of Christ. You must finish Christ's unfinished work. And we say that sentence out loud, and it seems like lunacy, right? Um, Christ has done this great work, but now let Moses finish it. Christ has done this great work, but now let me finish and add to it. We know, on the surface, we know that that's not true. Only God can complete what God has begun. It must come by faith, not by works. If the cross is unnecessary... I think what Paul argues here, then we suffer in vain. And how do they suffer? How do we suffer in the church? As we come to faith, as we face the ridicule of those around us, they were tangibly being persecuted for their faith. If the cross is unnecessary, then we suffer in vain. Why should we be persecuted for it? If the cross doesn't matter, then just keep living what you think is your good life. Why do you suffer in vain if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? There are some in the church today who will look at this text and, and say, well, this is just about sanctification. It's about how we live our life. It, it's not about justification. And we know that sanctification, sanctification does always follow 
justification, but justification never gets left behind. Uh, so let me say it this way. Justification is how we are made right with God. Sanctification is how we are then made holy through the whole of our life. And we never get past how we are ultimately made right. You cannot move on from that ever. We always must cling to Jesus Christ. When we stand before God, we stand there based upon his righteousness, not our own. And therefore, we cannot base our justification, how we are made right on our works that we do later. We never advance beyond the good news of the cross and the empty tomb. But there are those in the church who will come and say, yes, you're saved by Jesus Christ. But in order to maintain that, you must be obedient to the law. And if you're not obedient to the law, then you'll lose what you have in Jesus Christ. And this is a lie. This is the lie being told here to the Galatians. Look, yes, you have Jesus and that's good. But if you don't follow after the law, then you're not really a son of God. But all of this, all it does is amount to self-justification. And we have to be reminded that there is no such thing as performance-based Christianity. And we love to do this in the church. And you've probably heard me say this. You've heard others say it. But we love our checklist, don't we? We love coming with a piece of paper with our daily checklist. And we say, I've, I've had my quiet time today. Check. I prayed today. Check. I didn't say a mean word to them today when I wanted to. Check. And we continue to check down a list. Check down a list. Check down the list. And we come and say, oh, I'm so good today. I got all my boxes checked. Or maybe one day I go, I just couldn't check one of those boxes. It's still pretty good. And we come before the teacher and we say, here's my paper. We can't do it this way. There's no such thing as performance-based Christianity because this is what really happens. We come and we say, I have failed in all ways. But Christ reaches over and he puts his test on our table. He takes our bad test and puts it on his. And we go up to the teacher and we have this test that says Jesus Christ on it. And we hand it and it's based upon what he has done, not about what we have done. It's a doctrine we must live by each and every moment. And the doctrine of justification is a wonderful doctrine about how we're made right. Because guess what? If you're doubtful, then go back to the cross. See what Jesus has done for you. Be reminded of what he has accomplished for you. That he has justified you as a sinner. Are you discouraged? Then remember the love of Jesus for you. That he displayed for you in the cross. That he expressed his love for you through his sacrifice. From the very beginning of Galatians, Paul reminded us of our temptation to be recovering Pharisees. We love to try to self-justify. And it's easy for us to lose sight of the object of our faith. But here's, here Paul Paul's words for us today. You do not have a vain faith. You do not come to a God who is unable to meet all your needs, who has left it to you 
to finish the work. No, Christ, from first to last, has accomplished it all. And it is in this faith and hope that we come. So we are free from the tyranny of the law. We don't have to add Moses to Jesus. We stand upon Jesus alone. All the law does for us is tell us you can never be good enough. If you try, try, just take a week and try to perfectly, take a day, take the rest of the afternoon and try to perfectly live to the law. Tell me how that works out for you. I assure you before I leave this building, I will break something of the law. If not with my mouth, with my heart, with my mind, the law shows me of my inability to be good enough. And then Christ steps in and says, yes, you are not able, but I am able. And not only am I able, I am willing to come and, and stand in your stead. And so we come and we rest in him. We come in faith in him, knowing that the work is finished. When Jesus on the cross hung there and said, it is finished. Guess what he meant? It is finished. You no longer have to add anything else to my work because my work is done. And this knowledge should set us free. Yes, we must continue to be sanctified. Yes, we must uh, be holy even as he is holy. And yes, we seek to obey the law, because not because we want to justify ourselves, but because we want to be like our Savior who has justified us. We obey the law in, in, in faith and we obey because we love him, but it's not how we are made right. And therefore we... We who have been freed in Christ cannot and should not add a yoke back to our own neck or to someone else. I shouldn't come in here and say, well, you're just not dressed right for church. Let me add that yoke back on your neck. I shouldn't come in here and say, well, you know, I, I just don't observe you praying enough when you come to church. Let me add that yoke on your neck. I should never come to say, well, you're telling me that you don't read the Bible throughout the week, so therefore, you're, you're probably not saved. Let me add that yoke back to your neck. We who are saved and have been freed in Christ cannot add a yoke around our neck. Now, I can come, and I should rightly come and say, you know, you really should be in prayer, and you really should be reading, because look what Jesus has done for you, and he should be great and, and beautiful in your eyes, and you should want to seek after him. But if those become the basis for faith, then we've done something wrong. We've added works to what Jesus has already done. And we cannot do that. We cannot have a vain faith. And I think Paul so wonderfully and beautifully depicts here for us is that when we add works to our faith, we nullify the cross. And there is nothing more heinous than to nullify the cross of Jesus Christ. As we seek to live our life of faith, we must remember this. 
The only faith that we have is that which we see is revealed to us in Scripture. All else is in vain. No other word can be trusted. Everything else will only seek to ensnare us. Bewitch us. We cannot be confused about where our faith comes from. Our faith comes from the working of the Spirit as he works the accomplished, uh, the finished work of Christ in our lives. We don't receive it because we've been good enough. We don't receive it because we're special enough. We receive it out of grace alone. And so we take hope in the fact that Christ has not died in vain. He died and covered the whole of our sin from first to last. It is his work. We have to be careful. Our nature is to balance the scales. And we contend towards not liking this idea that Christ has done it. And that is that. But brothers and sisters, this doctrine, as we see in scripture, is so freeing. It is so freeing. You get to seek to obey him, not based upon the hope that you might do enough to be saved. You get to, be, you get to obey him based upon the fact that his work is finished. And you get to go obey him in love and in joy and in faith and obedience, knowing, as we looked at last Wednesday in 1 John, that when you stumble, because you are going to stumble, that you have an advocate with the Father through Jesus Christ. He's your advocate. He has satisfied God's wrath. And that is freeing. Because he no longer sits behind us then with a whip. The law is a taskmaster, Paul says elsewhere. It just whips us when we, we, we're wrong. And that's not what Christ does. He comes and says, look, I finished the work. Now you go forward in obedience. From first to last, it's his work. Would we know this wonderful, beautiful truth this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we are humbled and in awe of what Christ has done. Would we add nothing to the law? Would we not be foolish or bewitched? Would we not seek, in our, seek to trust in ourselves, but trust wholly in what Jesus Christ has done, first to last? We ask in his holy name. Amen.